It is time for us to dismiss our children. If you have kids that are going to 252, uh, they can head over to the side doors uh, and go out. And if you have kids that need to be checked into the nursery now, please take them over and uh, and get them checked into the nursery. Well, thank you again for, for joining us today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. So we've been examining the Gospel of Luke for a few months now. Uh, started uh, leading up to Christmas using the Gospel of Luke, and, and we're still continuing on in that. So in Luke 5, the last couple of weeks, what we have seen is uh, Jesus calling people to him. Uh, and last week we saw the surprising statement that he gave to the Pharisees, which was, he didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And so uh, we've seen a couple of weeks in a row people leaving behind their old life and turning and following Jesus. And the question for those of us who have put our faith in Christ and follow him now is how is life different how is this new life in Christ different since we have turned from our old way of life and come to new life in Him? And, and that's what I've titled my sermon for today is New Life with Jesus. And in today's, today's text, we're going to see how life is different and we're going to consider what that means for us as followers of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pr- read the text, Luke 5:33 through 39, and then I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to examine the word. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the truth. Uh, that we find here. And so as we do each week, uh, we pray now for you to work in us. Holy Spirit, work so that we will understand, uh, work that we will believe and respond accordingly to what you're calling us to do, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we work our way through these, these verses, we're going to be considering this from kind of life in Christ, what life in Christ looks like uh, for a follower of Jesus. And the first point is this, life with Jesus goes beyond religious practices. Life with Jesus goes beyond religious practices. Let's look back at Luke 5, verse 33. 
Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Now remember, if you were here last week, we, we looked at the text before this, uh, and remember the event. Remember where they were. They were at a feast. They were at a feast at Levi's house, uh, a celebration of Jesus, a feast celebrating him in honor of him. And at that event, the Pharisees grumbled. The Pharisees complained because Jesus and his disciples have have been uh, sitting down and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so they came complaining, like, why do you do this? Why would you associate with them? Do you not care about the, the type of people that you are with? And so the text today is at that same event. So Jesus replies to them and says, I came to call sinners to repentance. That's, that's who I came for. And now, in immediately following that statement, we have these individuals coming to Jesus, and they're not questioning who he's with, but they're questioning their religious practices, or specifically their lack of religious practices. Uh, and so these disciples, we learn in one of the other gospel accounts, are followers of John. And they go to him and say, hey... We fast and pray oftentimes. The Pharisees fast and pray oftentimes. Why do your disciples never fast? Why are you in this like feast where you're celebrating and there is no fasting going on? So they're, they're questioning him about the lack of certain religious practices that his followers are not doing. So fasting, of course, is self-denial. Fasting uh, is uh, saying that you will not partake in food or drink for a time period. Uh, it was often done in times of mourning. It was often done in times of like kind of confession of sins and like I'm going to fast and then confess my sins and draw, it, use this practice to draw close to God. There were commands in the Old Testament for fasting. Like at the Day of Atonement, was, there was a command that God's people were supposed to fast. But the Pharisees, of course, what the Pharisees have done is the Pharisees have made it just one more kind of legalistic way for them to kind of uh, demonstrate how pious they are, how religious they are. And they use that as a way to justify themselves uh, in front of others. The Pharisees had made it a rule that if you were going to fast, you need to, like if you're really faithful, you need to fast two times a week. So this is not an occasional thing. Uh, this is a weekly thing, at least twice a week. That's what really faithful people do, is what the Pharisees were teaching. They had made it a way to show, like, hey, we really care about our faith. They often would actually put white on their face. They would use uh, something to lighten the color of their face to try to demonstrate to others, I'm in fasting again uh, because I'm really, really faithful. 
The problem, of course, is we are never justified by our religious practices. We are not ever made right with God because we go through certain types of religious practices. No matter how faithful we are to those things, those will never make us right with God. It's only through faith in Christ that we will be justified. And with that, we will be given a new heart. And with that, we'll be given a desire to honor God with our living uh, through religious practices. But the religious practices themselves are not what is necessary to make us right with God. And God has always cared about the heart, right? The Old Testament, God showed He cares about the heart. We see these words from the prophet Hosea. Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire, this is God speaking through the prophet, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God is saying, I I don't want you to just go through the religious motions. Uh, I don't want my people to just check off certain boxes a certain number of times and then feel like you've done everything that you need to do to make yourself right with me. That's not my desire. And Jesus actually quotes that verse in Hosea in one of the other gospel of ca- accounts of this of what we're looking at here in Luke. Uh, when the Pharisees were complaining in Matthew at this event about him eating with tax collectors and sinners, right before John's disciples come and ask the question of why do you, why do you, your disciples not fast, Jesus quotes Hosea 6 6 to the Pharisees as they're complaining about who he's with, and he says, I want you to go and learn what this means. And then he quotes from Hosea 6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So in this context where people are complaining about him, who he's with, and where people are going to uh, question his lack of religious practices, Jesus quotes this passage from Hosea to let the people know you've missed the point. Right? The, the Pharisees who think they are really educated in what God wants. They've tried to perfect the law by adding a whole bunch of requirements that were never there. And Jesus says, you need to go and learn something. You need to learn what I mean by this. Because God's desire is not that we use religious practices to make ourselves look good. He wants us to come to Christ in faith, and then live a new life that's changed because of him. And so for us, church, we're still tempted to justify ourselves. Uh, Even when we confess, no, I, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith, that that's it. We can confess that, but our hearts are still tempted to make ourselves look good, to compare ourselves to others, And so we make kind of man-made rules about how we live and we judge ourselves in comparison to others of like, well, I do this, this, and this. And 
Those people don't even do those things. And we, we feel like we are better Christians. We're better at our faith. We're more serious about our faith because we do certain things that other people do not. And we put emphasis on things that God never desired. And Jesus' correction to the Pharisees, when we are doing the same thing, it's the same correction. I want you to go and learn this. I want you to go and learn what I really desire. I'm, I'm here for your heart. I, I care about your heart. I'm not, I don't care that you've checked a certain number of boxes. Religious practices are not bad. Spiritual disciplines are not bad. They are actually necessary and good for us. They build us up in our faith. They help us understand God more. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't have prayer times and we shouldn't have uh, Bible reading times. We absolutely need those. But we have to be careful that we aren't justifying ourselves by going through the religious motions and thinking, Man, I'm really good at this thing. And others really are missing it. That's not God's desire. Life with Jesus goes beyond religious practices. The second point from this text is this. Life with Jesus produces joy. Life with Jesus produces joy. Let's look back at Luke 5, verses 34 and 35. So this is Jesus' reply. The people have come and questioned, why don't your disciples fast like the rest of us do? And Jesus says this, Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. So Jesus' response is, it wouldn't be appropriate, right? It's not a time of fasting right now. It would not be right for my followers to fast right now while they're in the presence of me. And so he uses uh, the, the common practices around a wedding that everyone was familiar with and uses that to make the point. And what he says is, like, think about the setting of a wedding, right? So in, the, in these days, the, the common practice of the wedding is the two parties would gather together. They would come to an agreement on how the, uh, on like the, the bridal price that's going to be paid. They're going to come to an agreement on, yes, these two people are committed to each other in marriage and they sign the contract, but then they do not start living together at that moment. The groom and bride separate and the groom is, spends time preparing a place for his bride. And the bride is waiting for her groom to come. And when the, the time is right, when the place is ready for the, the bride to be taken to, and when the bride's family have agreed for the wedding to be finalized, then the groom comes and receives his bride and takes her home, and there is a celebration that's like a week-long feast. It's a celebration of this new wedding. And the bride was waiting and longing for. And Jesus said, look, that's, that's what's happening here, 
right? God's people have been longing for me. God's people have been watching for me. And I'm here. And so just like it would be wrong for the guest at the wedding celebration to fast instead of celebrate and rejoice, it would be wrong for my disciples to fast right now. And then in verse 35, he gives the first hint that that something is coming, of course. Uh, he doesn't give clear description of the cross. That's going to happen later on. There'll be clear descriptions of, of what's going to happen to Jesus. But here, he at least lets them know. And he says, there will be a day. There will be a day for fasting. And my disciples will fast when I'm taken away from them. But for right now, that's not appropriate. It is time to rejoice because life with Jesus produces joy. And we know that that's what he desires for us. We know that that's uh, what he wants to give us in the Gospel of John. In chapter 15, Jesus, as he's getting ready for going to the cross. And he's, he's speaking some of the final words that he's going to speak to his disciples. John fifteen eleven, we see these words. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He wants us to have His joy. He wants our joy to be complete. And the context of that statement is about remaining in Christ. This is the passage where he's talking about the branches remaining on the vine. That he's the vine and they are the branches and they need to remain in him and remain in his love. And he says, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you to remain in me, to stay connected to me, because I want you to know joy. I want you to feel and experience the greatest expression of joy that you could ever have. And your joy can be made complete if you will remain in me. True joy uh, applies to no matter what your circumstances Right? It's not a matter of like happiness about everything that goes on in life, but he's saying, I want you to experience a joy that you will never experience apart from me. Do you remember when we walked through Philippians? Uh, and Philippians was the epistle of joy, the letter of joy. And Paul wrote throughout the letter about rejoicing. And joy over and over and over. And then we get to Philippians 4, 4 and we see that statement. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul wants, Paul's saying like, if, if we are in Christ, we should have joy. We should be a people of rejoicing in, in Him and what He has done for us. And of course, that's the key. It's not joy in every circumstance. It's joy in the Lord. Joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can actually experience true joy uh, if we are in Him. Because life with Jesus produces joy. Uh, He's the only way we can experience it in this broken world. 
But as Christians, we truly can experience joy because Jesus, life with him, produces it. And this world, of course, is constantly, we're hit with stuff that tries to steal our joy, right? The circumstances we face, uh, the things that we walk through, the brokenness that we deal with personally. And then when you watch the news, uh, all of that is, are, there are things that are constantly trying to steal our joy, I confess that like the, the last couple of years, it's been tough for me personally uh, to remember that. Just some of the hard stuff that I've walked through, my family's walked through. Uh, it's, it's hard because I'm focusing on the circumstances. And God's word says we can actually be a people of joy. We should be a people of joy. We have a Savior who loves us. We have a God who is mighty to save. If we are in Christ, we are forgiven and we can be a people of joy. So church, let's pursue a life of joy because of Him and because of what He has done for us. The last point from this text back in Luke 5, is this. Life with Jesus is a call to let go of our old life. Life with Jesus is a call to let go of our old life. Let's look at verses 36 through 39 again. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new But also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. So Jesus tells a parable that kind of has two stories referencing the same thing. Uh, And it's talking about kind of mixing the old thing with the new things and that that won't work. It's actually destructive if you try to, to mix a little bit of the way the old things with the new things. And so the first example that he uses is like nobody, like nobody would do this. No one would take, if they've got an old garment that needs to be patched, no one would take a brand new garment and tear that and then patch up the old one with the new piece of cloth. And he says, so one, you've destroyed the new garment. No one's going to do that. And two, it's not going to match. It will not match with the old They won't look the same. And then one of the other gospel accounts explains it further and says, when the new shrinks, it'll shrink and tear away from the old anyway. So it's going to be destructive if you try to mix a little bit of the old things and a little bit of the new things. And then, making the same point, he talks about uh, wine. And so wine skins were often made from the, uh, you know, from the skin of an animal. And they would take, when they were going to ferment wine, uh, they would take the new wine before it's fermented and they would put it in a new wine skin. 
And that wineskin will be able to expand in that fermentation process, but still hold all of the wine. But if you take an old wineskin that has already been stretched to its max, and you put new wine that hasn't been fermented yet in that, and that fermentation process starts, there's no more stretch And he says, that's destructive. No one would do that because what's going to happen? It's going to tear open. Your wineskin is ruined and the wine is wasted. It spills out on the ground. And so Jesus is trying to make the point. It's new things have come. There is new life that has been found in me. And so it's time to let go of the old way. It's time to let go of the things that you did before coming to life in me, before having this new life. And if you try to mix the two together, it's destructive. It's not going to work. But then verse 39, he points out the reality. Not everybody's going to believe, though. Not everyone's going to accept it. Right? Some people are just happy with the way things were. They like the way their life was. They don't want things changed. And they say, you know what? I really like the old. I don't, I don't want the new. I want the way things always were. I'm more comfortable with that. I like that. And so I don't want this new way. And so he's recognizing there's many in his day. And the reality is still the same today. There are many who will not accept the new life with Christ because they like life without Christ. They like the way things are before Him. Right? Of course, the language here, Jesus is, is pointing to kind of new covenant language. We have promises from God's Word in the Old Testament that He is going to have, He's going to give a new covenant with His people. And so one of those texts that we have that promise is from Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 through 34. We see these words, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I, I took them by the hand and led them out of the, the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I'm their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me from the least them to the greatest of them. And this is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So we have God's word promising a new covenant. Uh, There's going to be a new life that comes one day. And Jesus' language here. Or he's talking about the new and the old. He's pointing to that new covenant and the new life. And Jesus, when he is calling his disciples, we've seen it a couple of weeks in a row, when he's calling his disciples, when he's calling people, when he's correcting the Pharisees' understanding of uh, sinners. And he says, they're the ones that I came for. 
I came to call people to turn from their old ways. To turn from their life of sin and turn back to God. Turn to me and receive the new life that's available. So think about just last week we saw the call of Levi. Right after uh, the um, after he had healed the paralyzed man, uh, and he said, "I forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven." And then he healed him to demonstrate that he has the authority to do that. He goes out and he calls Levi, the tax collector, the one who is the outcast, because he's known for cheating people. And Jesus' call to him is, turn from that. Turn from that old life. Turn to a new life with me. And Levi gets up and he walks away from his old way of doing things and follows Christ. And then he tells the Pharisees, that's who I came for. I came for sinners. I came to call people back to God to repent from their old ways. And the invitation is still the same today for us to come to Christ, to let go of the old way of life without Christ. And we're still tempted to maybe try to mix things together, right? He warns it wouldn't make sense to try to mix the old and new. And as sinners, we still try to do that. We want to live for Jesus, but we're still going to hold on to a few things. We still like a couple of of things that I don't want to quite let go of that. I'll let him be Lord of everything else, but I'm going to control this and I'm still going to enjoy this. But life with Jesus is a call to let go of it all. Let go of our sins. Let go of our misguided understanding of who God is and what He desires of us. And turn to Jesus and continue to walk in Jesus and the new life that comes with Him. Our Savior has made new life available to us. And so if you have not received Christ before, if you have never trusted in Christ for salvation, the invitation today is to come to Him and to to turn from your old way of life and receive Him and you will receive new life. And so if you want to know more about that, I would love to schedule a time to speak with you or you could speak with one of our other ministry leaders or elders. We'd love to be able to share the good news of the gospel with you. Church, the new life that comes with Christ, I want us to remember that that new life that we have received, if we have put faith in Him, calls us beyond just going through the religious motions and feeling good about ourselves because we have done a couple of good things or maybe done a lot of good things. I've been really faithful in this. God must really be impressed with me. New life in Christ goes beyond kind of the self-justification approach to our faith. New life in Christ actually should produce joy in us for who He is and what He's done for us. And so we should pursue a life of joy. 
and fight back the, all the brokenness that tries to steal our joy from us and keep our focus on who our Savior is. And then new life with Christ calls us to let go of our old way of life. Actually turn from it and, and walk in the new life that is available to us because of Him. Because of Jesus, we can pursue these things for His glory and for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word and thank You for the new life that has been given to us and made available to us. If there are any who have... If there are any who have not trusted in Jesus today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will stir in their hearts and minds the desire to know more about life that's available. And then for us as a church, God, I pray that you will uh, help us continue to walk in the new life that has been given to us because of Jesus for his glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.